Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, we read through the book of Concord, that faithful Lutheran confession that we hold to as a true exposition of Holy Scripture. And to do that, we have a cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians with us, layman Peter Slayton. But apparently is, we're dropping things all over the place yeah, here in the you, studio You guys are today. making lots of noise in it's the studio. It's not me. I, this is my first time at the board. I'm behaving myself so far. While operating the show and the board, and, and you got to make it difficult for me. I'm taking care of Dr. Kevin's logistical on. needs over yeah. here. I'm you behaving a, myself. You I just have want a to put cough that out drop there. button there. Use it. All I, right? It's not my fault stuff fell out of my pockets. All right. I said we weren't going to get Buckle derailed in, today. guys. I said it, and you guys just you basically it. guarantee that we. I will. think that the noise coming from my general direction is mostly just um, a sign that there are marks of the Antichrist, and I think that uh, <laughs> you are working too hard to save it, sir. Moving I, I'm on. trying. <laughs> so, Layman Peter Slayton is the social media Hi. manager of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Uh, he does social media things all day. Also with us today, we have Dr. Kevin back. Dr. Kevin Armbrust. He is the director of editorial and interim managing editor of the Lutheran Witness, although I understand we have a Lutheran Witness editor we coming do, in now. Starting so in you get to months. go back to like a one-time job now yes. instead I of like doing multiple things. Of three. Yeah. Yes, it'll be good. Uh, oh, well, there you go. Awesome. I can't wait. Well, thank you for taking the time to be on with us again. It's always a pleasure. Your, your insight is, is a real blessing to us. Thanks and then we have... Uh, Pastor Peter Ill, who is the pastor at Trinity in Milstadt, Illinois. And then I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, operating the board and trying to control this cohort that likes to get out of control. Good luck. Yeah. But uh, with that, uh, we, we continue. Let, let, let's get on topic here because I, I said off the air that I didn't want to get derailed because we got a lot to dig into. We do. We, we've been setting this up for a, a, a while. We've referenced it many times. Um, there, there's, um, there's some interesting words that come up in our segment today. The marks of the Antichrist, as we continue to look at the power and primacy of the Pope, that document in the Book of Concord, written by uh, Melanchthon. And in order to hold... I, I mean, again, we, we've referenced this at many other places, setting this up. We, we, we saw it back in the small cult articles. Martin Luther made this claim as well. And we, we've talked about how, I, I believe in the segment that Pastor Ill introduced, uh, Lutheran Confessions in the News, how this has come up in terms of political elections, even in our own country, by Lutherans who have run for uh, political office and, and can be somewhat scandalous that we would say this in our Lutheran confessions, but it's going to be really helpful for us to have a right understanding of what is it we are saying? 
because if we have a right understanding of that, then it's it's not as scandalous and it's a completely legitimate claim. And so we're going to dig into this. But in order to do it fairly, there are 20 paragraphs that are dealing with this. And, and I think sometimes I, I, I was thinking about this, actually, that, uh, you know, like, you know, what if we were to do church like this? If I were to stand up and do the epistle reading and read a verse and then give a little mini sermon on it and then read a verse. If you think my sermons are long now, they'd be really long. And that's what we tend to do on this show is like, we'll read a paragraph, then we discuss it for a half an hour. And then we read another paragraph and then we make, you know, very little progress and we're talking about the same topic. And so, Pastor L, you're looking at me funny. Well, I'm just thinking that there's a number of Christians in Milstadt right now listening to you going, but dude, that's exactly how our pastor teaches Bible study. That's why he gets really excited when he covers like three verses in an hour-long Bible study. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not the best format for today. Yeah, I see. And I do the opposite. I'll read a whole text, even in Bible study. And then I cover it for three weeks in a row because I have so much that I want to cover in that. So we'll, we'll so see tomato, how this tomato. works out. Okay. Yeah, we'll see the, how this works out anyway. But uh, I want to get the whole context. And, and sometimes I feel like that that's what we lose because uh, we get bogged down in discussing one paragraph that then later explains itself and things like that. And, and so we're just going to go ahead and read through this, um, all the paragraphs, and then we're going to have great, great, great in-depth discussion on this. So let's get into it then. So the power and primacy of the Pope uh, is the document that we are in, in the Book of Concord. We are using the Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, the reader's edition of the Book of Concord, available to you from CPH, the publishing arm of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And we are picking up with paragraph 39 in this document, the power and primacy of the Pope. It is clear that the Roman pontiffs, with their followers, defend godless doctrines and godless services. And the marks of Antichrist plainly agree with the kingdom of the Pope and his followers. For Paul, in describing Antichrist to the Thessalonians, calls him an enemy of Christ, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4. He's not speaking about heathen kings but about someone ruling in the church. He calls them the enemy of Christ because he will invent doctrine conflicting with the gospel and will claim for himself divine authority. Furthermore, it is clear in the first place that the Pope rules in the church and has established this kingdom for himself by the claim of churchly authority and of the ministry. He gives these words as a basis. I will give you the keys, Matthew 16, verse 19. Second, the doctrine of the Pope conflicts in many ways with the gospel. Third, the Pope claims for himself divine authority in a threefold manner. A, he takes for himself the right to change Christ's doctrine and services instituted by God and wants his own doctrine and his own services to be observed as divine. B, he takes to himself the power not only of binding and loosing in this life, but also jurisdiction over souls after this life. C, he does not want to be judged by the church or by anyone and puts his own authority ahead of the decision of councils and the entire church. To be unwilling to be judged by the church or by anyone else is to make oneself God. Finally, he defends these horrible errors and this impiety with the greatest cruelty and puts to death those who disagree. This being the case, all Christians should be aware 
of participating in the godless doctrines, blasphemies, and unjust cruelty of the Pope. They should desert and condemn the Pope with his followers as the kingdom of Antichrist. Just as Christ has commanded, beware of false prophets, Matthew 7, verse 15, Paul commands that godless teachers should be avoided and condemned as cursed, Galatians 1, verse 8, Titus 3, verse 10. And he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What fellowship has light with darkness, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. To dissent from the agreement of so many nations and to be called schismatics is a serious matter. But divine authority commands everyone not to be allies and defenders of impiety and unjust cruelty. In this, our consciences are excused well enough, for the errors of the kingdom of the Pope are clear. Scripture, with its entire voice, cries out that these errors are a teaching of demons, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 3, and of Antichrist. The idolatry and the abuse of the masses is clear, besides being altogether useless. The masses are used for the most shameful money-making. The doctrine of repentance has been utterly corrupted by the Pope and his followers. They teach that sins are forgiven because of the value of our works. Then they tell us to doubt whether the forgiveness takes place. They nowhere teach that sins are forgiven freely for Christ's sake, and that by this faith we obtain forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 9. So they hide Christ's glory and rob consciences of firm consolation. They abolish true divine services, i.e. the exercise of faith, struggling with unbelief and despair concerning the promise of the gospel. They have clouded over the doctrine about sin. They have invented a tradition about the listing of offenses, producing many errors and despair. In addition, they have invented satisfactions with which they have also hidden Christ's merit benefit. From these, indulgences have been born. They are puerilized, fabricated for the sake of making money. How many abuses and what horrible idolatry the invocation of saints has produced? What shameful acts have arisen from the tradition of celibacy? What darkness the doctrine of vows has spread over the gospel? They pretend that vows are righteousness before God and merit the forgiveness of sins. So they have transferred the benefit of Christ to human traditions and have completely snuffed out the doctrine about faith. They have pretended that the most silly traditions are services of God and perfection. They have preferred these to the works of the callings that God requires and has ordained. These errors should not be treated lightly. They detract from Christ's glory and bring destruction to souls. They cannot be passed by unnoticed. To these errors, two great sins are added. A. The Pope defends these errors by unjust cruelty and the death penalty. B. He grabs the decision away from the church and does not permit religious controversies to be judged in the right way. Indeed, he argues that he is above the council and can rescind the decrees of councils. Church law sometimes shamelessly says this, but the evidence shows that the popes act even more shamelessly. Question 9, Canon 3 of Gratian's second decreal, says, No one shall judge the main, the pope's throne. For the judge is judged neither by the emperor, nor by all the clergy, nor by the kings, nor by the people. The Pope exercises a twofold tyranny. A. He defends his errors by force and by murders. And B. He forbids judicial examination. The latter does even more harm than any executions. When the true judgment of the church is removed, godless dogmas and godless services cannot be removed. They destroy countless souls for many ages. 
Therefore, let the godly consider the great errors of the kingdom of the Pope and his tyranny. Let them ponder, A, that the errors must be rejected and the true doctrine embraced for the glory of God and the salvation of souls. Then B, let them ponder also how great a crime it is to aid unjust cruelty in killing saints, whose blood God will undoubtedly avenge, Revelation 6, verse 10. The chief members of the church, the kings and princes, should especially guard the interests of the church. They should see to it that errors are removed and consciences are healed, rightly instructed. God specifically warns kings, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, Psalm 2, verse 10. It should be the first care of kings to advance God's glory. It would be very shameful for them to use their influence and power to confirm idolatry. Example, 1 Kings 14, verses 14 through 16. And endless other crimes and to slaughter saints. Even if the Pope holds councils, how can the church be healed if he allows nothing to be decreed against his will? Or if he allows no one to express an opinion except his followers whom he has bound by dreadful oaths and curses to defend his tyranny and impiety without leaving any place for God's word. The decisions of councils are the decisions of the church and not of the popes, so it is especially dependent upon kings to restrain the excuses of the popes. Kings must act so that the power of judging and decreeing from God's word is not snatched away from the church. As the rest of the Christians must condemn all other errors of the Pope, so they must also rebuke the Pope when he avoids and hinders the true investigation and true decision of the Church. Therefore, even if the Bishop of Rome did have the primacy by divine right, since he defends godless services and doctrine conflicting with the gospel, obedience is not due him. Indeed, it is necessary to resist him as Antichrist. The Pope's errors are clear, and they are not small. The cruelty he exercises against godly Christians is also clear. God clearly commands us to flee idolatry, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14, godless doctrine, 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 4, and unjust cruelty, Proverbs 11, verse 17. On this account, all the godly have great, compelling, and clear reasons for not obeying the Pope. These compelling reasons comfort the godly against all of the reproaches usually cast against them about causing offenses, schism, and discord. Those who agree with the Pope and defend his doctrine and false worship, Godestinst, defile themselves with idolatry and blasphemous opinions. They become guilty of the blood of the godly whom the Pope persecutes. See Acts 9 verses 1 and 4 through 5 and 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. They detract from God's glory and hinder the church's welfare because they confirm errors and crimes through all generations. Thus far, the power and primacy of the Pope, 20 paragraphs covered there. Woo! Woo. All right, take a breath. All right. Now, I, again, what, what you saw there or heard there, I, I guess, because this is, this is an audio program, uh, what you heard there is that clearly... We're presenting a logical argument. I mean, you heard a lot where I was saying point A and point B. I mean, that happened, what, at least four times in there, right? And he says first and second, and he's making a logical argument. And also, we've made this point many times that all of these documents in the Book of Concord are logical arguments uh, presented to to present our, our faith and so forth. So I also want to make this connection 
of this section, the marks of the Antichrist, back to the section that I covered last week with Pastor David Wiest, um, as as we saw in the previous section, beginning with paragraph 32, a contrast between Christ and the Pope. That section sets up this section, which we go into great detail, exactly why we we must flee the Pope and call him Antichrist. Now, let's make sense of it all. And Pastor Hill <laughs> is is raring to go on this. He he wants to bring this down home for us. I, I will be first in the fray. Um, as we get into this, this section is marked or titled uh, the marks of the Antichrist, or we could say the characteristics. In other words, how do we know that the office of the papacy that we're referring to as Antichrist is actually Antichrist? And that... Uh, as we get into that, one of the first things that happens is Second uh, Thessalonians 2, especially verse 4, comes into play several times. And there is a lot of talk about how the Antichrist arises in the church. Uh, when our culture and when the world begins to talk about what is Antichrist and who is the Antichrist, there are a number of, of different guesses or people who might be attributed to be Antichrist. But Scripture talks about, from Second Thessalonians 2, the Antichrist rising up within the church and making himself an object of worship. Because of that, uh, it is our position that this is the office of the papacy that sets itself up to be the arbitrator between God, including our Lord Jesus Christ, and mankind, who has the authority to bind souls uh, and to judge souls, not just during this earthly life, but even after this earthly life is ended um, and into eternity. That's a... that's a command not given to any human being or any creature in Scripture, and and to go that far is is uh, somewhat alarming. But then Luther, or, I'm sorry, Melanchthon goes on. Papa Melanchthon. Papa Melanchthon yes. goes on in this uh, argument that he makes to say, "Look, here's the signs. Here's the characteristics of how it is that the office of the papacy or the office of the pope is antichrist." But to add insult to injury, the fact that he is bringing the death sentence against his opponents, and the fact that he is uh, incarcerating people and killing people for questioning him. And for having a sincere confession of the faith, that is is unconscionable. And it's for that reason, as well as the others, that we have to say, hey, this isn't right. Uh, it is up to the people of God, based on Scripture, the revelation of Jesus Christ, to be able to say, no, sir, what you're advocating, the indulgences, the authority that's unquestionable, the... All of the things that you're bringing to this, we do have the right to question them. And throughout the Reformation, the Pope's response to Luther was always, take back what you said, be quiet. And there there never really was a full point-by-point point, uh, discussion of the points of disagreement between the Roman Catholic Church and the Evangelicals or the Lutherans, depending uh, which side of the nomenclature you want to use today. Yeah, I, I, I like the way that you've set that up there, too, that, you know, the tyrannical way in which he's come at uh, the the reformers, specifically the Lutheran reformers and Luther himself, has been noted by us on this show and, and 
the Book of Concord notes this multiple times, right? We just want to have a discussion about these things, and let's discuss it from Scripture. And I like how you highlighted, I mean, they're citing Scripture. Like, this This is exactly why why we must flee, why we must uh, fight against these or point these out, rather. And and even just as we've we've covered the small called articles and then the power and primacy and the Pope kind of connected with the small called articles in that is is kind of the case and point of this. Like we just want to have a discussion. And the reason that that, you know, the the league at small called never or, or not the league, um, the uh, the council uh, never took place at small called is because the Lutherans were told, yeah, there's not going to be a discussion. It's going to be, look, take back what you said. And and, and that's a problem. I And, and so. I also want to highlight here. So you said Marks of Antichrist, right, is is the subtitle given, at least in the reader's edition here, right? And and you highlighted for us that Second Thessalonians 2, verse 4, very important. And, and especially, I'm going to hang on those words, takes his seat in the temple of God. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a key phrase there for us in making this point. What has the Pope done but taken a place in the church that should be proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. And he's pointing people to himself and his doctrines, right? Instead of the doctrine of Christ, which saves them. So that's an important point. You also uh, talked about, you know, the, the killing, the persecution that has gone on and, 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 and those other errors. Um, were there other marks of the Antichrist um, that were highlighted here in this section? Well, I was going to say, this is actually an entire laundry list. And I, I think... In terms of reading it all at once, there can be a a little bit of a dramatic effect to that. And look, we're not just saying that it's this one thing over here. And because he's the Pope, therefore, because he's the Pope, he's the Antichrist. No, no, no. There's a whole list of things that lead into this. And here's what Scripture says about it. And so hearing it all at once, okay, your eyes can glaze over, can get a little bit overwhelming. But there's just that much there of, look, here's how wrong it is to be claiming all of these things for yourself. The second effect is, as you hear the list of all these different things we're talking about, you'll also begin to realize, hey, wait a minute. It's not just the Pope that does that. There are other people I've heard who do that. I remember um, growing up, part of my early, well, I guess high school in Texas was when Waco happened. Uh, with the Branch Davidians and David Koresh. And that was one of my first exposures to somebody who claimed to be Jesus come back on earth and like starting up his own church kind of thing. And in my young life, that was one of the first ones I remember of, wow, that there are people who believe that. And so you look at what he did and what he said about himself and some of those things, and you're like, oh, hey, th- this this fits him too. And then you can bring it even a little bit closer to home because sometimes we hear popular pastors and popular teachers who wouldn't necessarily be considered cults, but start to ascribe them to themselves some of these things in the laundry list too. So a couple things on that then. So you mentioned the laundry list, right? And, and how that's a really key point to highlight here is that we have you know, multiple points citing again from scripture mm-hmm. of of exactly what the concern is. It might be fair to say it's kind of the anti social media 
or <laughs> I can't tweet this. Yeah. This is too yeah. long. You know, but 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 I mean, in, Pope, in our bad culture, Jesus, good. There we go. Woo. Our culture breeds this, and and I think you know, as we've talked about on the show before, you know, kind of the the Lutheran confessions in the news segment and so forth, of how this becomes a political issue is a lot of times this is just understood as name calling, right? Yeah. Oh, you're just name calling. You you don't like the Pope because he excommunicated Luther, and so you're just going to get back at him and call him. Well, you're the Antichrist. You know, but, like my like, tweet that I yeah. created just now. Yeah, that was just name calling. That's, that's not helpful at all, right? But it's not when when you actually cite from Scripture this laundry list of abuses, uh, where the Pope sets himself up against Christ and the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Right, the chief doctrine of the Church, and 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 so we're we're right in in making this claim. And then the other part that I want to highlight, you, you mentioned David Koresh, which I think you really showed your age there. I think I was like really young when that <laughs> happened. I barely remember it. Um, hey, but I lived in Texas. You should approve that part at least. Well, definitely. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, this still happens today. Um, you know, this may get a little too uncomfortable at times, but I think it's also fair to name church bodies that do this, right? I, I would say the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the ELCA, right? I, I would say that they are antichrist in the doctrines that they profess. They don't hold to the, the, the they say they do hold to the Lutheran confessions and so forth. But you see in what they actually profess and what they actually do, they are setting things up that are so opposed to Christ, Right. And we can mm-hmm. we can maybe point out some others, um, but uh, I, I'm just thinking of their their recent church. Um, what do you call it? Convention, I guess. Like we have our convention, I guess they call it a convention too. Um, you know where where they were, you know, openly uh, promoting things that stand very much against the doctrine of Christ, specifically with uh, regards to homosexuality and so forth. Right. That uh, this isn't sinful, and that you know we're we're going to commend this and, and setting up it, it's it's creating doctrines, right? So where is the distinction between false doctrine and what makes a person or a a Christian body the antichrist? Oh, and that was my question too, because if we're going to go that direction, we've we've just laid out a laundry list of here are things that mark the antichrist. So my question to you, Pastor Smith, was going to be. Okay, let's look at this list and make that case from the list we've got here in front of us. Because um, I think that might be a useful exercise to say, okay, if we're going to make that claim, let's let's look at how we have traditionally defined that according to the Book of Concord and Scripture and say, all right, where are they doing these things to? And we... That's exactly what I want to do on the show. All right, cool. See, I, I get to be the host where I bring up this question and then we discuss it. Woo! It's really great. However, it's also a bit of a teaser because we got to go to break. <laughs> so please join us right after this. Jesus and his life-giving word, and friends who care. That's what you will find at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri. Come and experience for yourself the difference that Christ and his people can make in your life today. Join us for worship on Sunday at 9 a.m. Sunday school and Bible class are at 10.30. Follow Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Listen to his word. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, 2211 Tenbrook Road, Arnold, Missouri. On the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart. 
to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. And welcome back to Concord Maris. We don't have time for music. We got too much to cover here. We're talking about Antichrist and the Pope. I mean, come on. That, that was a quick fade out. And we're back. We got layman Peter Slayton. We got Dr. Kevin Armbers. I don't want your microphone on yet. Just chill. And then we also have Pastor Peter Ill. Because you guys derail me. when You already did it anyway. You don't oh. even have microphones. All right. And I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith. Okay. So I gave a little teaser, right? <laughs> set this up but then we also realized i haven't let dr kevin talk at all and i want i want dr kevin on i've been holding him down over here I mean, to keep him quiet he, he just has such great insight all right so i i have the teaser you can address that or you, or you can talk about whatever you want here well dr. i kevin. think i think there are several things that are going on at once and and the first we have to admit is that the bible verse that the the confessions cite here doesn't ever say the word antichrist and actually, Second Corinthians or Second Thessalonians chapter two doesn't say Antichrist. The only place in the New Testament that uses the word Antichrist is actually in First and Second John, which is not talking about this Antichrist from Second Thessalonians. It's a different Antichrist, and this actually does help our discussion because if if you go to paragraph forty four in the Power and Privacy of the Pope, what what you find is it says this this nice statement. So. They hide Christ's glory and rob consciences of firm consolation. And that's the point. It's not because they kicked out Luther. It's not because they're killing Christians and we're mad at them. It's because the real problem with the Antichrist is he's robbing glory from Christ. And in so doing, he's driving consciences of the comfort that Jesus came to give. And what you find is in, in Second Thessalonians, the Antichrist is this person that reigns from within the church and, and has all these evil things about him, right? And that's certainly what the papacy is described as, as here. But in, in First and Second John, the Antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus has come in the flesh, right? They're denying the person of, of Christ and his work to save us. And this is where the whole idea of Antichrist really does come together for us, is that the Antichrist is anybody who is drawing people away from Christ, right? And that's really the root of the problem. So when we look at, are there denominations that are doing this? 
Yeah, and in so doing, they're drawing people away from Christ, and that's that's this role of many antichrists will come, right? In in First and Second John, um, but when it talks about the papacy as the antichrist, then they're going to Second Thessalonians chapter two because that's a different way to talk about this. And again, the word antichrist isn't there. So I think I think just keeping those two things in mind as we go forward really does help with this discussion because when you talk about a heterodox church body that is drawing people away from the gospel, see, they are fulfilling the role of Antichrist in robbing glory from Christ and, and damaging consciences. Now, they're not fulfilling the role of Antichrist, meaning this ruler from within the church that's, that's killing other Christians, right? That's not what they're fulfilling. But they are fulfilling this notion, the New Testament notion of Antichrist in in the writings of, of John. I'm playing the I'm playing the host card. All right. So, um, uh, you know, I got to be real. So, so is it fair to say that both are going on in what we're actually discussing here? Exactly. Okay. And, and we've got to kind of keep what them both going on at the same time and right. realize it. Because, and, and I'll even back up further in 44 to what you highlighted there. The doctrine of repentance has been utterly corrupted by the Pope and his followers. Exactly. Right? I mean, and that, that was kind of my point in citing by name the Evangelical Lutheran right. Church in America. I mean, that doctrine is completely corrupted. And, and people are sitting under this teaching being directed to, the, in essence, again, their works, right? Their, their love of people by accepting them however they are, even though it's clearly sinful and, and, and leading them away from Christ, right? Um, that, that's, that's working in Christ. That's the right? Antichrist, right. Now, are they, and, and maybe this is going, I mean, some levels of persecution are going on right. all the time of in the course. world. Um, but, uh, you know, are they, are they out there, you know, burning people at the stake and, and murdering them and, and causing those? Definitely not, right? Uh, and I'm very thankful for that because I have an ELCA church uh, directly behind my parsonage, actually. <laughs> Broke off back in the 1800s from the congregation that I serve. Uh, but they're, they're wonderful and kind folks there and everything. But, but we have to be clear about the errors that are going on in the church that are leading away from Christ. Right. We're talking about that. But then also clearly the second Thessalonians is this actual also persecution that is going on, setting himself up in the seat. And, you know, this is the second time we've had you on and the second time you've completely saved my question <laughs> um, with a really clear confession. This is so, why we like Kevin. This is why Dr. Kevin <laughs> yeah. continues to get to be on and I need to give him more talking time. But Layman Slayton, you wanted to say something before I played my card. Well, I was only going Add, add to that actually if we're going to go with the uh, robbing consolation sorry robbing conscience is a firm consolation making sure i'm getting my quote here right yes we can we can name the elca but this then becomes a helpful rubric to apply to okay do do i see this elsewhere how do i know if my church body is doing this how do i know if my pastor is doing this how do i know if i'm in a situation where this is happening well simply look for places where Scripture says, look, this is not God's will for your life. This is sin. You shouldn't be doing this. And your pastor, your denomination, the group you're in says, nah, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That is a totally acceptable practice, whatever it may be, whether it's homosexuality. We've talked about that. Um, the sexual sins always seem to get be the big ones. But go go through the Ten Commandments. I mean, just go down that list. Somewhere, all of those are going to be approved. And so if we're talking about robbing consciences of consolation, well, you're not going to have consolation at all 
when you have sinned if you're being told that what you're doing isn't even sin to begin with. So the robbing of consolation happens right off the bat at that level. So that's one way that we can use this and then say, okay, now we're starting to move into the direction of marks of the Antichrist in this sense. Keeping in mind, we've got these two senses, but this is where we can start making that move into, oh, this is what it's about. And is this person or this denomination or whatever it is, this leader, have they set themselves up as the arbiter of what is and is not sin, contrary to what scripture is telling me? And I think that that does add to it. So thank you for that. I, I'm sorry I made you wait. You're to do that. fine. I don't have no but problem. <laughs> I, I also want to bring back pa- Pastor Ill when I was trying to set up my teaser um, before break and so forth. You, you brought up an interesting point that I, I, I don't want us to completely leave. What is the relation of doctrinal error to Antichrist? And I think we've discussed some of that here, right? Um, and, and so you can certainly have doctrinal error. Right. And, and, and when pointed out to you, the right move is that of repentance. Right. Um, oh, yes, I've I've seen my error from Scripture. And, and, and oh, by the way, I didn't mean that is usually probably usually connected with that. I know that's at least, you know, like sometimes when I've kind of slipped up in a sermon or something like that, it's like, no, I didn't really mean that. Uh, let me clever, clarify. Right. You know, and, and, and you see your error. Um, and, and so we're we're not just even saying that doctrinal error itself um, is Antichrist. However, doctrinal error that does lead away from the consolation of Christ um, is, and then especially when it, it, it then gets into these these marks, if you will, right, of of the persecutions and things you do, and, and, and to which I might call it maybe like a soft mark of Antichrist that the, that the Antichrist does um, uh, in the ELCA in the sense that they get pretty pushy with, you know, well, you just have to love people. That's what Jesus was all about. Right. You just have to love them. I, I think it's a it's a it's a level of persecution. You get pretty drowned out and beat up about it um, when you start talking about, you know, right. But the way that we love them is to call them to repentance, even as we repent of our sin. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of becomes this this kind of getting beat up by by that. I don't know. It, <laughs> it's maybe making too strong a case of it, too. I don't know. But I, I'm going to call it a mark of antichrist anyway and i, think and I don't want to beat up on the elca alone here either i i think there's plenty of um you know just because i i think it is important to name names here right um you can certainly throw out there joel osteen right uh large megachurch pastor in uh houston texas um i i would also put the pc usa presbyterian church usa um in this category as well uh they're they're kind of like the elca of the presbyterians if you will um and and i don't want to turn the show into just a name listing thing either but just just so that you know i'm not beating up on the elca just because they also happen to be lutheran and i feel like doing that or something i i think one thing that's also important is if you keep reading First John, which is always a good thing to do, just keep reading John, right? Um, <laughs> but, For our poor listeners who don't know, Dr. Kevin specializes in John and in uh, both the Gospels and the the Gospel of John and his epistles. So he's going to talk about John a lot. Yeah, because it's, it's the best book. Um, <laughs> but when you go forward in First in John and you go on into chapter 3, what, what John ends up saying is that not every spirit is of God. And the way that we test the spirits is to listen to what's being taught. And that's an amazing move because the way I can tell what spirit is present is by the words that a human speaks. And that's what you're getting at is you're saying, 
we're not we're not saying every person in that church is awful and we hate them. What we're saying is what they teach sounds like the teaching of Antichrist. It's it's robbing glory from Christ. And the effect of that teaching is that it actually is removing people from putting all of their hope in Christ and moving that hope somewhere else, which is a false place to put hope. And that is the spirit of Antichrist. And 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 maybe even makes a better point than what I have unhealthily done diverted us into and and you know i was trying to name names and things i was following slayton on this so i'll, I'll say you led me into sin on this. um but but the better move the scriptural move and 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 john was the disciple that jesus loved and so it's okay for us to love the that's right the writings of john most too okay, right, right? <laughs> um but uh, i like that move um you know what is the teaching be listening to the teaching mm-hmm. discern the spirits right mm-hmm. and 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 every Christian has this call. Is that a fair case to make? Yeah, exactly. And and this is what we do is we listen. And and this is why it's so important when you say, like, memorize the catechism, you know, teach your children of the faith. Why? So that when they hear, they will right away know, yes, yes, that is the gospel. That's the truth. That is where I put all of my hope in those words. And then someone else teaches something false and they go, wait. That's not right. Or that doesn't sound right. Let me investigate this. Let me look in scripture and look, look at the way the church has historically taught this as we have in the book of Concord, right? And say, is that the correct teaching? Is this actually what we think about this when we read scripture in the book of Concord? And the more we do that, the more we can quickly identify whether it's in a sermon or, or something you hear online or a podcast or something, and you hear somebody advocating something and you go, wait, is, is that of Christ? Is this you know, classic Christology. Is this the way we talk about justification by grace through faith? If someone says, you know, like, like Billy Graham is my favorite example of this. He's one of the best gospel preachers in the face of the earth. But then he slips that line in there, right? God has done all he can. Won't you meet him? And you go, whoa, where did that come from? That's not the gospel, right? And all you of a sudden- You were doing so well. Yeah, you were doing so well. <laughs> I, I, you know, everything you said was great. You talked about my sin and what God did to sin. But then all of a sudden you slipped this in and, and we know right away from everything we've learned from our childhood through the scriptures and confessions, we go, wait, that's not actually the gospel. Because whenever you insert me, you've now detracted from the glory of Christ, which is exactly what it's talking about here. But Dr. Kevin, who are you to judge the great Billy Graham? I, I'm no one, but scripture- the word of God is the one that stands as the authority, right? And we and we and we run to that all the time. And, and, and is, like and like you said before, it is the the office and the position of every Christian to stand on Scripture and to question the the teaching given them. If it's okay, I have a I have a quote from Luther, but Sean's going to like this one because it does actually, Walther paraphrase Luther? That'd be even better. No, it's a direct quotation. Oh, okay, um, um, so you had a Walther paraphrase of Luther. That's basically what Walther does. It, it is. <laughs> So Luther writes about the the work um, and the uh, positions of congregation. The seventh and last office of the congregation is to judge and recognize all doctrine. There is indeed no small reason why these hypocritical priests and painted Christians have usurped this office for themselves. They well knew that if this office would be held by the congregation, none of those mentioned before would remain theirs. For if the right to judge doctrine is taken from the hearers, what might or could not a doctor or teacher dare to teach if it were possible? It would be even worse than the devil. On the other hand, if the right to judge doctrine were granted or commanded to the hearers, what might or could a teacher venture, even though he were more than an angel? For if that were permitted, then Paul would not only reprove Peter, but would condemn 
even an angel from heaven. No doubt the popes and councils would have spoken and decreed about the priesthood, the ministry, and such other offices as to baptize, bless, bind, pray, and judge doctrine with much greater fear and trembling if they would have had to fear the judgment and condemnation of the hearers. In fact, the papacy would never at all have developed if this rule would have prevailed. Hence they did themselves a good turn by usurping this office solely to themselves. They were able to do and preserve this until the wrath of God will be fulfilled, as the prophet says in Daniel 11.36. But now, since Christ comes and enlightens us with his glory, this rascal, the Pope, is beginning to be destroyed. The breath of his mouth kills the, this Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and his glory, quoting Second Thessalonians 4. Sorry, chapter 2, verse 4. All right, so... I, th I think we we tend to have this knee-jerk reaction about judging doctrine. And I think we've expressed it a little bit here, like the you know Pastor Ill, you said, who are you to to judge that? I think that's actually I have an illustration I want to I want to bring out that I think will help us grapple with this. <laughs> Kevin, it's okay. You'll like this illustration because it's about my four-year-old daughter. Okay, so we we have this knee-jerk reaction. Who are we to do that? Who are we to say? What this Pope is doing is the Antichrist, and this is doctrine. If my four-year-old is watching a Disney movie, and this does happen, and she hears what every Disney movie teaches, and this happens, follow your heart. And she says, Dad, I don't think that's right. Am I going to turn to my daughter and say, Allie, who are you to judge that Disney movie? You are a four-year-old. What do you know? No! I'm going to say, you're right. You've been listening. That's good. Let's talk about this. Okay, how do you know that that's wrong? And let's let's encourage her to be listening and to actually say, yes, this is what you are supposed to do. Even as a four-year-old, you are to listen and be careful what you hear and judge it and say, is this actually true? Is this actually right? I wouldn't do that to my four-year-old. We shouldn't do that to each other either. We should be listening and saying, well, let's talk about this. Yes, you're right. Is that what Scripture says? We come together as Christians and exhort each other and study God's Word together. It's kind of what we're doing right here on this show as we go through this. So if I'm not going to do that to my four-year-old, why do we have such a strong reaction to doing it with each other? And and that's where I think it's the helpful point that, that Dr. Kevin pointed out, too. It, it's scripture god's own word that does mm -hmm. the judging it is the righteous judge himself jesus christ right who is the word of god who is doing the judging and and we're simply being familiar with it enough um to 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 hear and discern according to that word of god right yeah and 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 i also want to highlight here too that that sometimes it becomes scandalous for other folks and yet i also want to highlight those who 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 do have a good trust of those who are learned in scripture, which our pastors are and should be, right? And, and we have even lay people who are really quite strong in this, like Layman Slayton, who I have on this show, right? You know, who knows his scriptures and so forth. Sometimes. I mean, there, 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 is a, there is a place, right, to where those who are more familiar with scripture and learned in scripture, like the father with his daughter, right? Mm -hmm. who, who, who we can come together and make use of their gifts, right? right. The, the weaker ones, right? Who maybe say, that sounds a little off, but I'm not sure. I mean, I, I can't tell you, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're probably with me. Like how many times parishioners have come to me and they said, you know, I heard this, but 
I don't know, like they use the name Christian and, and they identify as Christian, but something about it just sounds off, right? And they don't they don't quite know how to do it. And they know their scriptures pretty well, but they also know well enough where to come to, right? And, and we certainly want to encourage that. But again, still, we're not setting the pastor up as the sole judge. And I always use my, my junior catechesis students right around this time of year. I just did it um, as we observed the celebration of the Reformation. This was why it was so key that, that Luther translated scripture into the language of the people so that they could read that for themselves and they could learn their small catechisms so that they could discern these errors that were being taught to them. And what happened? The Reformation bore some fruit because of it, because they were able to, to see and know for themselves their salvation in Christ by faith alone, right? And, and, and when, it, when contrary things were being taught to them, they, they, they ran away from it. Right, and it was great success. Pastor, you wanted to jump in. Couple things. First, when I when I asked Dr. Kevin just who he thought he was by judging Billy Graham, it was done completely and totally tongue in cheek, um, simply to set up the point that it is the place of of every Christian to hear preaching and teaching, and to consider it. Um, on the flip side of that, as somebody who gets to preach and teach, it crosses my mind that it's always important to be able to say. We are here to to discuss, to preach, and to teach, and to learn from the scriptures. And where my teaching deviates from the scripture, where my preaching deviates from the scripture, not only do I expect you to, but I want you to come and share with me my fault and the places where I have not spoken clearly from scripture. That is the office of the Christian hearer to speak frankly and candidly and lovingly with their Christian pastor. Well, and I was, I was going to say before you started in on that, but this is a perfect segue, that it's the responsibility of the pastor to teach his people God's word so well that they can do that, that they can recognize, hey, pastor, when you said that in your sermon, I, I don't know if that sounded a little bit off. Let's let's look at God's word together. Help explain it to me. And maybe it is off and maybe it isn't. But this is what it means to be the body of Christ together is that we are exhorting each other in that way. And the, the pastor should be teaching in such a way that his people are know God's word so well that it's like, yeah, when I heard you say that, that wasn't God's word. When I heard you say that, that was. And it was great. And, and go ahead. I was going to say, just lest we actually bring it back to the text we're reading, um, <laughs> that's actually the second charge against the Antichrist, is that he won't listen to the church. When yeah. the church comes and says, no, that's not true, this is true, he actually tells the church, you have no right to tell me I'm wrong. And that is actually a charge against the Pope in this writing, where Melanchthon is saying, one of the marks of the Antichrist is you won't listen to the church. And that is a serious charge. When, when the church... Not because as person. they've identified from the beginning of this document, he set himself up above it. Above it, right. It, right. Which and Christ is the only head of the church. Scripture itself says this, right? But this, is, exactly. this is affirming this claim. Yeah, exactly. And, and so what we're observing is actually kind of what they're saying the Pope is refusing to do, right? And, and that's, so it's, it's a really what, important way for us to continue to keep these two aspects of the Antichrist in our mind where, where Anybody who teaches a, a teaching that pulls people away from Christ in some ways is an antichrist. But the office of papacy is the antichrist because it actually officially sets itself up over the church, which is the place that only Christ occupies. 
Well said. Again, always. And also, thanks for bringing us back to the text, because with only about three minutes left, I, I, I have another point on the text that I think we have to highlight on this. So we, we've talked about how you identify, then, the marks of Antichrist, and, and, and I think we've, we've well discussed that. And, and maybe we won't have enough time to well discuss. There, it seems to me there's at least a second move in here, right? So you identify with Scripture, right, uh, the 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 what's it say the the corruption of doctrine just just to summarize that paragraph 44 again and so forth um and then the abuses that come out of that as well um but then it it's it, it makes a move and it says that there should be a response to this and and he highlights this especially in the second part right um when he's when he when he says you know given all of this laundry list that we've pointed out right that scripture points out then they should be right to this is Sean Smith paraphrased version here. They should be right to run away like their pants are on fire, right? You know, like you, you should definitely be fleeing, right? So let's let's go ahead and talk about this then. Why why is that the right response? Dr. Kevin. Well, I think it's the right response because it's not Christ. We run away from is not Christ and we run to Christ. And and that's kind of the point is is you don't continue to listen to somebody who's teaching you something that's going to pull you away from God in Christ Jesus. You, you when you hear that, I mean, yeah, you might want to try to correct it or try to discuss it, but at some point when they refuse to teach you the truth about Christ, you got to get out of there. And and this goes on to say this is not just some benign teaching. This actually ends up affecting worship. It ends up affecting the sacraments, ends up affecting all of these things that we do as the church. When when the head of the church or the head of this this doctrine is false, you gotta get out. You gotta go to a place where Christ's word is is correctly proclaimed, that the sacraments are administered according to his will, where Christ is Savior and consciences are clear because of what Christ has done. Yeah, I like how you highlight there the godless dogmas, and then they, as they highlight in here, the godless services are influenced as well, too. And I also like how we, we run to Christ, right? Why? Because he alone has the words of eternal life. Yep. That's exactly right. All right, parting thoughts from either of the Peters with 30 seconds left. I'll say it's not John, but Paul tells us to flee sin. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what you do. When you encounter it, you flee it. You don't, as I'm going through it with my kids, we're going through judges, you don't live with sin. You don't let it settle in the midst of you. You don't settle in the midst of it. You you flee it. And false you, doctrine is sin. Yeah. Uh, and we we hesitate to say such things, but this is uh, in the spirit of, of where we are in the treatise of saying, hey, false doctrine is sin and this is serious. One, repent, and two, flee to Christ. Well said, and it's completely reasonable. It's not just name-calling. That's kind of my little caveat for the show as we've covered this today. I hope you've appreciated this. If you have questions or comments for when we convene for Concord next time, which we will be taking up the the latter part of this, the power and jurisdiction of popes, uh, picking up with paragraph 60, uh, you can leave questions for us by calling 314-996-1542. You can also find us on social media at KFUO Radio. You can also email KFUO at KFUO.org. Thanks for stopping by today and listening. And until next time, keep confessing, church.